Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part, and we are your hosts. I am Greg Knott. I am Bill Hosler. And I'm Darren Laners. And tonight, we are extremely honored to have uh, Rush Ivana, who was the Grandmaster of the Grand Lodge of California in 2014-15, and he is joining us to talk about the topic of civility. So, Russ, welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you, brother. So, Russ, if you could give us uh, your background, when did you become a Freemason? Why did you become a Freemason? Well, I knew nothing about Freemasonry before I started dating my now wife, Linda. Her father was past Grandmaster of California in 1982-83. And as we were getting more and more serious in our dating, he started dragging me to all these Masonic affairs. And after about six months or so of this, we returned from one such affair. He pulled the car up into his driveway, and then I were in the back seat. He put the car in the park, and I said, so, Harry, what does it take to become a Mason? Well, it's a good thing the car was in park because he was in the house and back out with an application before I could see what hit me. And uh, so that was 1992. I became a Master Mason in May of that year, served as master of what was then Channel Islands Lodge 214 in 1996. And as you mentioned, became Grand Master of the State in 2014. It's been a blur of a Masonic career, but one that I would not have traded for anything in the world. Well, that that is so awesome for your father-in-law and you both to be uh, Grand Master of actually one of the biggest Grand Lodges in the United States. So wow, what a what a tremendous legacy. So that that is amazing. So while you were Grand Master, and, and the reason we've invited you tonight for theme was civility. As we were talking kind of off air, I uh, discovered the short talk bulletin you wrote a number of years ago, and we used that one night for an education piece in the Royal Arts chapter that we have. And had a very frank roundtable discussion with all those that were there that night about what it meant to them, how they defined it, and things. But what brought that to your interest, and why did you choose that as your theme for your year? Well, that short talk bulletin was actually an excerpt of a speech that I delivered to the Conference of Grand Masters of North America in February of 2014. And I suggested to the delegates that are present that the world about us was becoming increasingly uncivil and that if left unchecked, this may well become a world that we're not willing to leave to our children and grandchildren. Now, keep in mind when that was. That was about six and a half years ago, almost seven years ago. And I think it's fair to say the world is not any more civil than it was then and likely a whole lot less civil. 
So at that time, I suggested to the brethren there, uh, there and assembled that we as Masons have the teachings of how to treat people with dignity and respect, which to me is the epitome of civility. We have the working tools to help us talk in that kind of shorthand. We have the language. We have everything that it takes to help our society to become more civil. And so we suggested to the conference that we should perhaps first commit to be more civil in all of our behavior, words, and deeds, and then that we perhaps form a Masonic Civility Task Force that would initially work on doing two things. The first is to build a civility toolkit where you could be encountering incivility in your workplace or in your your local town or city or in, I forget, in your lodge, wherever you can open up the the, the tool drawer and pull out the particular tools to help you to resolve that. The other thing that we said that we would do is work to convene other organizations that are all trying to restore civility in some part of society. And frankly, we're not meeting with great success. So we built a resolution. We presented it to, to the craft and it took 60. Yes. I'm sorry. We had 60 voting delegates. So it took 40 yes votes. And there was a lot of discussion. And the discussion was mostly in favor. And then if you served as master of your lodge, you can probably relate to this, but there's a point where the discussion went completely off the rails. And you're just praying for the call of the, of the question, right? And all of a sudden, the, the conversation started going very negative. The vote finally came. We had, we had 30 people vote yes. We had 20 people vote no. And uh, so it failed. It didn't get the requisite 40 votes. It didn't trouble me that it failed. What troubled me was that 10 people didn't have the guts to vote yay or nay on it. So it failed. I went to the corner of the ballroom, kind of held my hand up, and everybody that had worked so diligently with me, diligently with me, came over and they said, so what do we do, Russ? And I said, well, I think we form a task force. We work on building a civility toolkit, and we work on convening other people to, to figure out how we can be more civil. And I'm pleased to say that in the intervening years, we've met every month and we have accomplished all of that plus a lot, lot more. Well, that's awesome. I guess I'm surprised people couldn't jump onto that, that vote. And I understand, like you said, when you're master of a lodge, every meeting you're at, the, the, the main discussion is going to get derailed by something. And it's interesting, as you say, you were bringing this up in 2014. And though we won't get too deep into the, the, to the current world, things have not improved, in my opinion, since then. So let me, let me ask you, how do you define civility? And frankly, why is it important not only to you, but to the world or as you see us as Freemasons? So I'm going to answer your question not as succinctly as you wanted, because I think it's a really fascinating question. This Masonic Stability Task Force that I mentioned earlier spent the first four months we were together trying to define the word civility. We thought that was a natural place to start. And we came up with all kinds of good stuff, but nothing that quite grasped. I described it as trying to hold sand in your hands. And after four months of this futility, I finally did what I should have done at the outset, which was what? I Googled it. So I typed the word civility into Wikipedia. And what comes up is C. Incivility. So as of six years ago, the word was not defined in Wikipedia, the font of all knowledge. If you look now, you will see a definition there. And that definition is there because of our efforts. 
And I don't know if you've ever tried to submit anything to Wikipedia, but it is a bear. They just keep rejecting, rejecting, hoping it will go away. But it's there now doing large measures to the hard work of worshipful master uh, Brandon Lippincott from Conejo Valley Lodge here in Southern California. He just worked tirelessly to get it on there. So my point of going through that explanation is to tell you that it is easier to define what it is not than what it is. We all know what instability is when we encounter it. Do we know it when we're exhibiting it? That's the real question. So are we introspective enough to recognize when we are being uncivil? I've had people tell me that, inst- that civility is just about being polite to one another, applying the rules of etiquette, avoiding difficult conversations, if you will. And I've had others tell me, no, 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 it's not, doesn't even involve any of that. But civility is getting to the relationship to a level where you can engage in difficult conversations where you have vast disagreements. Well, I think it's a combination of both, frankly. Because I don't know if how you can have those difficult conversations where you strongly disagree with somebody unless you have a basic level of, of respect for that other person. You know, if, if, if I'm in a room with a neo-Nazi who's spouting all kinds of racial epithets and so on, I'm sorry, I'm just not going to be able to treat that person with civility. And I will probably extricate myself from that situation. But I can engage in conversations, productive conversations with people, even though we're diametrically opposed on a particular subject. Let me pass this to Darren, because the point you brought up, I think, is an experience Darren and I were talking about about recently about brothers that may say something that uh, was disturbing. So, Darren, let me pass it to you because you, you had a question that we had talked about in advance that I think is completely relevant at this point. Thanks, Greg. Russ, so just to try to make the uh, scenario as generic as possible, I was in a situation recently where there was some discussion regarding the recent activity uh, in reaction to some of the p- police slayings and some of the, in my opinion, dialogue that was being said between some brothers was I would consider racist. And one of the things that concerned me was not only, you know, am I seeing this more so or hearing this talk more so in a lodge setting, but also seeing brothers on social media also make some remarks that I consider not Masonic or unmasonic. In such situations, how what would your advice be to approach uh, these brethren civilly and maybe whisper good counsel to them? Or is it a possibility? So you just said the number one thing, in my opinion, Darren, and that is to find a way to whisper that good counsel in their ear and privately admonish them of their errors. That's difficult to do. But what we're finding ourselves doing all too often, I think, which merely escalates the problem, is we're doing that admonishing publicly in a lodge room or on Facebook or other social media and so on. And that is not going to get us anywhere. We also have to recognize that masonry is made up of individual men. Every one of us have our faults. And so we have to accept that that these men are going to be faulty in certain ways. So to the degree that we have a good relationship with them, where we can pull them aside and say, look, this is how I'm hearing what you're saying. And it's troubling me for these reasons. I'd love to talk to you about how we might be able to find a reformation. 
Now, I want you to hear how I said that. I used I language a lot. What I'm hearing is troubling me. Not what you're saying is ignorant and disruptive and all of these types of things. Because when you start saying you, it's he's automatically going on the defensive. And you're not going to break through that, that wall. But if you talk about how you're perceiving it, how it's troubling you, do I have permission to share this with you? That kind of language can go a long way to, I'm going to use the word softening the person where he's able to be receptive to admitting that he may not have been as Masonic, as civil as he would strive to be. There's, there's another big concept that I'd like to suggest that we all strive to do, and it's really, really difficult, but presume decency in one another. We're to the point where we react. Some of, we see somebody on TV, hear them on the radio, we react one way or the other, favorably or negatively, before they open their mouths. If we can get ourselves to, to flip that on its head and instead presume they're a decent person, we're going to be proven wrong on occasion because there certainly are some jerks out there. We don't deserve that kind of, of uh, deference. But if we assume they're decent and they're maybe just going about it in a different way, then we can also assume that this brother with whom we're having some difficulty will be open to hearing this critique from you and looking about it for a way to improve himself. The last thing I'd suggest is that we always try to tie it back to what our Masonic teachings can tell us about this. So one of the, the symbols that I look for in a lodge every time I walk into it, or used to walk into it pre-pandemic, is the point within the circle. That to me, and in California, it's not required in our lodges, it may be in your jurisdictions, but that to me just says so much about how we're to treat one another and how we're to govern our own behavior. And so I'll talk with that brother about has he properly circumscribed his passions and his desires? And that circle to me creates a border beyond which I shouldn't allow my passions to begin to intrude upon the rights and enjoyment of somebody else. And, and if we were in a lodge together, as I'm trying to describe this, I'd actually be walking right up to you and getting in your face. You'd be backing off. It's a good illustration of how we have to be aware of how our words and actions are have what kind of effect they're having on somebody else. But that's that's an empathy that masonry teaches if we're open to its teachings. Bill is our social media guru for Meet Act in part. And I know he kind of monitors our comments and sees a lot of things on Facebook and others. And, and Bill, I, I'd just like you to reflect on what you're seeing in uh, comments and some of the maybe not so nice things that are said, just to, to put it uh, gently. And how do you relate that, you know, Russ, to how we can be more civil to each other? Sadly, these days, since it's so close to the 2020 election, it's either my side's awesome and your side's evil and vice versa. It's whichever side you support the most. And if you're kind of in the middle ground, well, then obviously you don't know anything. And like they're trying to, you know, win the hearts and minds of either side or they'll be undefined. And it's just so vitriolic. No matter which side you pick, the other side's considered evil. And it just, I try to be apolitical on Facebook, well, any social media, and they just kind of, it turns me off, and so I've just tried to put myself personally. I try to post funny things just to make people laugh and try to bring humor to things. We've had trouble in the past, the Midnight Freemasons, where somebody will post something that could be like the one that comes to my mind was um, 
I believe it was Todd Creason, the founder of Midnight Freemason. He posted a an article. It was it was just totally innocent. It was like, let's try to make Freemasonry great again. And oh my goodness, the comments that came it just broke down and just completely terrible name calling and it was just completely undecided by the time. I think we ended up having to turn comments off on it. And it just really, really bothers me sometimes is it and sometimes it does get into the lodge room and and it does kind of make me wonder what else, what can Grand Lodges and even our local lodges do to promote civility? Well, there's a lot to unpack there, Bill. These are times that truly are trying men's souls. This effort for civility is more needed today than any time in my lifetime. And I've talked to folks a whole lot older than me, and they're saying even in their lifetimes. And... I've looked at this as whether it's a top-down issue or a bottom-up issue, if you will. We keep bemoaning the dearth of civility in our leadership, and I don't think we can wait for that. My theory is that if each of us find ways that we can be more civil, more proper in our behavior to those who are in our spheres, that's going to have ripple effects that are going to go far and wide and start to force our leaders into treating each other and us with more dignity and respect. So it's about us as individuals owning this and, and having the tools and techniques to improve our behavior and then sharing it with others. As far as social media is concerned, you hear about how horrible it is. I liken it to the gavel in the hands of the master. In his hands, it can be made an instrument of great good or of greater evil. It's a tool, just like a butcher knife. It can help us prepare our food, or it can be used to murder somebody. Social media is that kind of tool. I think all of us can look at relationships that we've been able to rekindle that we thought were permanently lost due to social media. And then on the other hand, we can point to numerous horrendous things that it has accomplished. I do participate in social media in large measure to try to exhibit civil behavior there. And I've had many people compliment me, oftentimes non-Masons, about how I've managed a difficult conversation on social media. Now, by the way, this doesn't come naturally. It takes every bit of effort I have not to react the way I want to react. But I try to exhibit that so I can show how we can engage in a fruitful conversation via social media. It's not always possible. And when it's just getting too ugly, uh, I will walk. There's a little thing that I do that seems to have some impact, and that is when I'm in a conversation where there's Masons who are acting in a way that I don't think is terribly Masonic, I'll just simply put hashtag Masons for civility. And it's doing one of two things. Either they're unfriending me or blocking me, which is okay, or it's quieting the conversation, lowering the temperature. And hopefully it's not too preachy because I never want to, to come across as, as preachy. So there are little things like that that we might be able to do to, to get those conversations back on track. Um, but there are times where they just do get so ugly that it, it's just not worth pursuing and you've got to, to extricate yourself from the situation. Bill, to get to your question about what can lodges and grand lodges do, we have created a, a repository of, of useful uh, tools and it's available at MasonicCivility.org. That's MasonicCivility.org. So uh, presentations that we do, frankly, all over the country, all over the globe, they're available for you to download. 
within the lodge with your youth orders, with your Rotary or Kiwanis or Chamber of Commerce meetings. Uh, you can download those. They're not protected. Make it your own. Put your own words on it. You just want to get the words read. There are articles for your trestle boards. There, we have the civility toolkit that I alluded to when we first started this, this podcast. So a lot of good resources there. That would be the first place I would direct you. And we also have a way that if you come across a good resource, you can upload that to us. And if we approve it, it'll become a part of the, the library. The other thing I would encourage you to do is focus your Masonic education on this topic. I've done this with our Job's Daughters, our Rainbow for Girls, and our Demolay chapters where I sat down with them about civility. And with Demolay, it's easy. You have seven precepts, and they can tie every one of those to civility. The Rainbow, the seven stations of the boat, they've managed to tie most of all of those. The same thing with the Job's Daughters teachers. My fervent belief is that it's too late for our generation to really start to repair our world. We need to hand the keys of this world over to the younger generation, and we need to do it now rather than later. These young people get it. They want to start fixing what's wrong with this country, with this society. And our job as adult leaders, as I see it, is to give them the tools, give them that safety net for when they fall, they skin their knee, they don't break it, and let them just take off with it, and they will start to fix the problems that we have. Russ, you, you just hit on so many things I believe in. So let me tell you one recent story. I spent 20 years as in elected positions here in East Central Illinois, all outside of my day job. And so I knew a lot of people, have a lot of friends in local politics, not that we're going to get deep in politics, but I called one of them the other day and she's the mayor of a pretty sizable town here. And we were talking about all the decisions she has had to make to limit bar access and limit uh, gatherings and this, that, and the other. And uh, my first comment to her, I said, well, how are you doing? Because we've been, again, been friends forever. And talking about the effect of social media, uh, she took social media or Facebook specifically off her phone because it had gotten so toxic. She had commented that one person had, had put some vitriolic things on Facebook about her. And we both know this individual. And she goes, you know, I know that individual would never have said those things to me in person. And I said, yeah. And we were reflecting back. We both were county commissioners starting 20 years ago. And that was pre-social media. And we were talking about some of the controversial things that we'd been through and some of the tough decisions we had to make on taxes and whatever. I go, I said, I can't imagine today having to have made some of those decisions and the ludicrous comments and things that would roll through social media. And and I guess my point about all of that is to, to tie into what you were talking about is in some ways, it's like, I feel like we're ratcheting down society in terms of our quality and what we're leaving those, as you mentioned, that are coming from behind us. I was in another meeting the other day where we were talking about people don't know how to run meetings anymore. Now, that in itself seems innocuous. But as I unpack that, I thought, that's right. In America especially, we are Masonic Lodges and Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, Kiwanis, Rotary, 
all of those serve as part of our social capital. And as part of that experience, and I was a Boy Scout and Darren was and, and Bill and I were both in FFA and all of those experiences teach you about democracy, teach you about making decisions together where you may not agree initially, but you have that art of compromise. And it's almost like I feel social media on one track, loss of social capital on the other. If you're doing a bar graph, you'd see one go down and one come up. And there's an inverse relationship of those that if we don't reverse it soon, I I fear that we are going to get to a point of no return. And it's almost, it's beyond partisan politics. Partisan politics, in my mind, are an outcome of some of those things. And again, we won't get into to that. But they're a reflection of the rest of us. Why do we permit that? Why do we allow those things to happen? It's, it's frustrating in some ways for me. Of it, It's like, I know it's an uphill battle. But if we don't turn the tide, what is going to be left for those that are behind us? And this is probably beyond even Freemasonry, even though you could you could use the analogies of the lodge. Is that tide turnable or not? I'm not going to lose hope that it is turnable. But I'll tell you, there are many times that I have wondered why I'm spending so much time, effort, and money trying to do my part to restore stability in society when it seems to be so futile. And about the time I give up and we're ready to give up and I'll get a phone call or an email from somebody that'll say, will say, you know, something you shared with me X number of years ago helped me in this situation. And that's what keeps me going. Our children are our legacy. It's not the plaque on the wall. It's not how much money you made. It's not... Our children are our legacy. And what we need to always keep foremost in our mind is that our children learn far more from what they witness in our behavior than anything we could ever tell them. If you want evidence of this, if you have a 15 or 16-year-old in your household who's getting ready to start driving, all they've been hearing out of you for the last year or what have you has been never text and drive, Right? However, as soon as you get, they get in your car and you are texting and driving, everything you said is out the window because your actions just told them, well, you can get away with it. So So this is especially important in the Masonic family. Are we consistently and constantly emulating the type of behavior that we want them to follow? They're watching us all the time. So it's, I think that's a critical realization. The other thing that you brought up, Greg, that I think is, is an important realization, and that is, if I could summarize in one word everything you just said, it's con- connect- connectedness, connection. Masonry is meant to be practiced in person. I joined the Internet Lodge out of London, England, several years ago. I wanted to see... This was before Zoom and, and so on. I wanted to see if Freemasonry could be practiced virtually. My short answer is no, it can't. Now, we've all had to practice it virtually. This, this is a, a, a distant second best in my opinion. Because what I don't have the ability to do here is when I ask you, Bill, how you doing? And you give me the pat answer, I'm fine. 
I can't see your body language. See, no, you're really not fine. There's something troubling you. And put my arm around you, take you off to the side to a quiet room and say, something you want to share? Can't do that via Zoom or a phone call or a text. So we need to get back to practicing that connectivity. And Freemasonry does that better than any other organization that I know of. Our Masonic Youth Orders as well. That's what society is needing right now. People are searching for ways to connect. I've seen numerous studies indicating that we are really not more, more divided as a, an American society today than we have been in the past. Now, that just doesn't sound right. Well, of course we're more divided. No. Apparently what is happening, and the studies bear this out, is we have the same amount of people on the far right and the far left and in kind of the center, depending on how you want to measure it. That really hasn't changed an awful lot over the decades. But what is happening now is we are putting ourselves into echo chambers. We're surrounding ourselves with people that think like we do, talk like we do, believe as we do. We're even going to the point where we are up and moving to be around people who think like we do. So your bluish areas are getting bluer, your redder areas are getting redder. And you're seeing that. You're seeing that in polling, you're seeing it in, in elections and so on and so forth. And it is dividing us as a country and as a society. And so it's up as up to us as Masons, I believe, to bring that bridge of connectivity. And we can do it. We can do it. We, we've got the language. We have the principles. We have everything that it takes. Do we have the gumption to do it? It's going to take a lot of energy, but I believe we can. And frankly, if we don't, who will? And I think we know the answer to that. Let me pass it over to Darren for his kind of thoughts and reflections based on our discussion so far. So a, a lot to unpack as well. I think, Russ, you're exactly right when you are talking about people surrounding themselves more so with people that share their thoughts. I see that also in the media. Obviously, there are certain media organizations that cater to one side or the other. Social media as well. And I don't know if you've seen the Netflix documentary, The Social Dilemma, yet. But it's an interesting watch. One of the things that is bared out of that is the fact that the algorithms basically that uh Facebook and some of the other social media sites use point uh, individual users towards information that they are more likely to peruse. So you're not getting the view of the other side. You're not getting the information that the other side, quote unquote, is uh, is providing. And on top of that, false news on social media is spread six more times quickly than real news. So how do we uh, combat that, not only on social media, but also in, in real life or in a lodge setting, when you have some brothers that are seeing things that might not necessarily be true, but uh, since it's on the internet, it must be, correct? So uh, that's, that's the main concern that I have. Well, masonry, of course, teaches us that we're not to talk religion or politics inside a lodge room. In, in California, there's one other subject we can't talk about, and that's baseball. 
as we of course have the Dodgers and then they have that, that uh, minor league team up north that won't be mentioned. Uh, we have, we have the same issue here with the Cubs and Cardinals and then also Cubs and White Sox. So I think that's probably universal. So, so there's three things we don't talk about inside the lodge room. That doesn't mean that Masons don't talk about those things, but we have agreed as a craft that when we set foot inside that lodge, we are leaving the profane world behind us and entering sacred space. And we recognize that we need that. That is the time to recharge our batteries. That is the time that we as, as men who always have to be strong and the providers and so on can frankly let our guards down and, and be vulnerable, be human, if you will. And my concern is during this pandemic, we're missing that as, as well. The main thing I want to get across is the only person whose behavior you have any control over is, of course, your own. So the more we can be introspective and look for ways to, to hew our rough Ashley, the more impact that's going to have around those who look to us, who depend on us. And their curiosity as to how you've changed, why you've changed, will become a topic of conversation. We're not going to be able to change other people's opinions, at least not in loss. We're going to be able to do it by having one-on-one conversations without the desire to change their opinions, but to change how they are expressing them. That's all that we can hope to do. I don't have a desire, frankly, to change somebody's political opinion. That's not my job. What I do have a desire to do is to change how we converse with each other so that we can have a meaningful conversation. So Masonry has the tools to teach us that. We've gone through a few of them already. But if you just took every important working tool in Masonry, the plumb, the square, the level, the common gavel, the trowel, just stop for a moment and think about what each of those say about how we should treat one another. The plumb, walk uprightly in our several stations before who? God and man. Walking upon that level of time, treating each other as though we're meeting on the level. Treating them by the square. All, all of these things, spreading the cement of brotherly love and affection. It's all about how to treat people. Now, why do we have to keep those within the four, four walls of our lodge? When I'm meeting a non-Mason, and I can talk to them about, you know, I, I want to treat you on the level here. I want your voice to have equal voice to mine. You don't need to know that's Masonic. Look at that concept. I need you to keep this when I'm telling you in confidence. In California, we call that on the square. Others jurisdictions on the level. Okay? They don't need to know that that's Masonic concept. But we can share it with them because we are Masons. Take those teachings out of the lodge and share them with the greater society. Well, as Rust spoke, made me think of some of your 50-year member writings on the Midnight Freemasons. And Russ, this is a series Bill has done about two uh, hypothetical people, a young person and the 50-year veteran, and how they've interacted. And just like, I'd like to ask Bill to reflect a little bit on those writings and what he's seeing or thinking about in terms of the civility conversation we're having. Writing about the two guys, there's the two of them. One of them's name's John. He's the 50 year member. And the other kid, you know, he's, I shouldn't say kid. I'm getting to that age now. He's in his twenties. His name is, his nickname is Pudge. 
you know, the, the boy was, he was just kind of a, sitting in the corner as a lot of the younger brethren are when they first come. They're just kind of not included. He kind of spoke up. Talking to the older fellow sitting at the table, and John was kind of, you know, kind of gruff with him, and he didn't believe in this internet thing and stuff. And as the, as after a little while, they kind of grew to be friends, and they they kind of teach each other things. And in a perfect world, I'd almost like to see that happen, is where some of our older brethren can teach the younger guys about life and about masonry and how it should ideally be and the way. You know, the way you conduct yourself in lodge and what to expect as you're, you know, on your journey. And then the younger fellow can, he can kind of keep him abreast of what's going on in life today and help keep him young. You know, he can, there was one installment where Pudge took the 50 year member and got him a quote unquote fancy new phone, one of those new smartphones. And, and it, it kind of, you know, it keeps him young and it makes, and it gives you, know, I'm older, you know, younger brother a little bit of experience. And I would, in a perfect world, it'd be that way. And, but I'm, I kind of think maybe this might be another way for, you know, civility might work its way into another one of the installments because it is something I had never thought about, but. It just sometimes, you know, they always call back in the day, they called it the generation gap. You know, the, the old man didn't understand the young kid and vice versa. And it just, we actually lost a generation of Masons because of it, you know, back in the sixties and seventies. And thankfully it looks like we got these younger fellas in Malay that are coming up and hopefully we won't have that issue again. But I really hope there is a future. I mean, I, you know, you said something a while back, you know, saying about why sometimes it makes you really wonder why you do this. And while you still try. And I think all of us get this way. Doing it in masonry, some of us, we get pushed back on a lot of the things we're trying to do to what we think would improve the craft. And we get knocked off our feet. We have to get up again. We're like, why am I doing this? And we'll get one younger guy, kind of like a pudge, who will say, I'm really glad that you do this. You know, I would never have known, I would never have been able to do this if it wasn't for you. Or, and it's the same way with writing for Masonic you know, literatures and Masonic publications. Sometimes you just feel like you're writing off into a vacuum. And then you'll get a letter from or an email from someone, and, and all of us has done it on Midnight Freemasons get this. It's like, thank you so much. You know, my goodness is, I thought I was the only one that felt this way, but after reading what you wrote, I realized I'm not alone and it gives me hope that we can, you know, do this and that I can become a better Mason. And so the more you talk to people, the more people you're going to reach. I was thinking about in Northern Ireland back during the 80s, 70s and the 80s when they had the, the fight between the Catholics and the Protestants. There were two women, one on either side that they were both fed up with the fighting and their children couldn't go out and play because of all the bombs and guns and such. And they met right in the middle of the no man's land. And one of them said to the other, says, you know, I'm sick of this. And the other one says, I am too. He says, we need to change this. And honestly, it's kind of what started the process of bringing peace. So it's amazing how just a few people with just a good idea and right on their side can do anything. So you know, maybe you're going to create the spark. You may not change everyone, but you're going to change some of us, and you may change the future. I mean, I think you're doing a great job. Well, thank you. It's, it, I personally consider teaching to be the noblest of professions, and the good teacher may never know how they have, have impacted a particular student. If they're fortunate, those students come back every now and then and let them know how much they appreciated them. 
but they can rest assured that they have changed many, many lives. And I think masonry is like that as well. You mentioned the generations, Bill, and one of the greatest rewards I get out of masonry is the friendships I have formed with generations older than me that but for masonry, our paths never would have crossed. And I know I have been much, much richer because of that. You mentioned also that the younger generation seems to be really flocking back to Freemasonry. And you might hear that this younger generation has a short attention span. That's actually not what I find. What I find is they are seeking uh, fulfillment. And they're coming to Freemasonry because they're not finding it in their careers, maybe even in their houses of worship. They're just not finding it elsewhere. They're coming to Freemasonry because they believe that can provide what they're looking for. The question is, will we help them to find what they're seeking? And rather than a short attention span, they don't have tolerance for wasting their time. So if they're not getting it within their time frame, they're going to go look for it elsewhere. So I think we need to help our lodges, because it does boil down to a lodge level, to really be introspective in terms of the kind of culture that they want to create, that they want to breed. And they need to recognize that a lodge can't be everything to everybody. If you live in a larger metropolitan area, you may have several lodges. I would encourage these prospective members to go lodge shop, go check these others to find that right culture, that right fit for them. I'm going to come back for a moment to that point within the circle, because we know that's not the end of that symbol. It has those two parallel perpendicular lines, which are said to represent, of course, our patron saints of masonry. And when we see it, it's supposed to conjure up with those their teachings uh, embodied. But when I see that symbol, it also reminds me of my Masonic mentors, the men who had taken the time and invested in me to guide me in my Masonic career. And I think all too often we, and I'm speaking as an older brother now, are afraid to mentor the younger brothers. And they're looking for that. They're needing for it. And in fact, if I can go on just a step further in terms of mentorship, there are two kinds of mentorship as far as I'm concerned. There's the intentional one, where somebody typically younger comes up to you and says, Greg, I really admire your ability in this particular area. Will you take me under your wing and show me the, the trade or show me how to do it? And you agree to do that. The second kind is the incidental or accidental mentorship where you may not even know you're mentoring this person. They're watching your every move. And that's where we, again, need to be really cognizant of, are we exemplifying the type of behavior, the type of language and so on, that we would want to have others emulate? Because people are watching constantly. Greg, you're in the university system. You have people watching you all the time inside the lodge, inside our Masonic youth orders. So I think we need to offer that mentorship more often when we see somebody who seems to be looking up to us, you know what? I see a lot in you, young person. If you're open to it, I'd be happy to help to guide you a bit. Don't force yourself on them, and chances are they'll really eat it up. You hit on an equally favorite topic, which is mentoring. I have, growing up, 
I grew up in a large family in terms of having my grandparents lived basically right next door. They had numerous brothers and sisters, and they all lived in generally the same vicinity we all did. So I grew up with that World War II generation influencing me. And I honestly didn't really realize it until I was probably in my 40s and they were all uh, one by one, you know, passing away. And, and so today there's, I think I may have one left out of, I think at one time I actually count, I had over 30 uh, great aunts and uncles between uh, all my four grandparents. And so I, to me, that was normal, but uh, I don't, it wasn't normal, I think, for a lot of my friends and others. But they had such a huge influence on me and I never labeled them as mentors. But when I look back and think back and reflect on all the lessons they taught me and things, absolutely they were. And so when I came into the Masonic Lodge and it was what got me interested in masonry was a Masonic funeral mm-hmm. at one of their, at one of their funerals. And it was a few years before I came in and, and there they were. You know, they were, you know, older, obviously, by then. And at this point, most of the World War II generation has passed on uh, in the lodges that I'm involved with. But it was just it was so refreshing to see them. And and I think Darren, he's he's known some of the same ones I've known because of our same lodges. But they were always still to the end, just such a positive influence on me. And so I hope that I can be a little part of that. I would never pretend to be as great as some of that generation was, but what I took from them, I hope to pass to uh, not only the younger Masons, but uh, Darren and I have been scout leaders and we hope we we pass it to them because to me, that is part of that continuity that I think, uh, Russ, that you experienced that you learn from the older, you don't realize it and all of a sudden you're middle age, then all of a sudden you're the older one. And it's like, well, okay, I think it's my obligation to pass that along. And it seems that civility and mentoring go hand in hand. That by being, perhaps by being the mentor, by being civil or, or exhibiting civility, you pass on those traits to the next generation. Something else you said, it was very interesting to me about reflecting back on time about our, uh, maybe we're not more divided today than we were at some points in the past. You have your left, you have your right. And at least myself, I consider myself in the middle. And and maybe just social media amplifies those divisions. I think you also hit on something else that is of great concern to me, and that is we're flocking to people that only think like us. They, they may look like us too, but they especially only think like us. For me personally, you know, I want people to think different than me because to me, that's part of the challenge. That's how I grow. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to necessarily fall into what they're believing, but I've always found that I don't want to stop growing. And and unless I understand maybe their perspective and their background and what they believe in and, and other things associated with that, how else can I grow? And I think that's one of our obligations as a Freemason is as we educate ourselves is, is to gain those different perspectives. And, uh, and, and I know I've learned a lot from Darren and, and Bill and, and many others over the years. And, and I think Darren will test how he's seen me grow. I've seen him grow. And, uh, and part of that's because we bounce ideas off each other and things like that. That to me goes back to your, uh, your point about civility. And that's being able to have those conversations. And if we can't have those conversations, it's not a very bright future. 
Now, I'm still optimistic about our country. I'm still optimistic about the world in general, and especially Freemasonry. And maybe I'm foolish a little bit, but that's okay. But I think if if we don't put forth the effort, and like you're doing, Russ, with talking about civility, maybe what we're doing with this podcast and other things to reach people about these ideas about things we can do, it could be lost in a generation if we're not careful. And and so uh, I so appreciate uh, everything that uh, that you're doing because to me, again, when I look at civility, that's what our topic was tonight. And it's funny you brought in mentoring. They really are hand in hand. I have chaired uh, numerous boards and committees, and I always make it a practice uh, if I sense that there's some dissent in terms of making a decision, I will, before I call on the vote, ask those dissenting views to please share with me why. And I have found all too often that they are seeing something that the rest of the group has missed. So we need that diversity of opinion uh, in order to make the best decisions. If we surround ourselves with nothing but yes people, who are just going to flatter us and tell us, you know, what they think we want to hear, we're going to make horrible, horrible decisions. And if you look at how Freemasonry is structured, it's it's designed to be consensus-led organization. And that doesn't mean, consensus doesn't mean that it's unanimous, that everybody's going to walk out of that meeting having agreed with the decisions that were made. But it does mean that we've engaged in productive conversation about it to where we as a group made what we think is the best decision. And that then when we walk out, we walk out with a unified voice. There again, I think Masonry can teach the world how to do this better. Yeah. Let me throw it to Darren and then to Bill as we sort of, this is one of those topics we, we really could just spend. And I think we're going to have you back for another episode at some point, but uh, we, we've just scratched the surface, but, let me turn it over to Darren and, and Bill as we sort of uh, wrap up this volume of our discussion. One of the things that happened to me, Ross, is that I met a certain individual named Greg and uh, unwittingly became his unpaid intern for the past <laughs> about 12 years, I guess. Uh, I moved here in 2008 and I think I met Greg probably shortly thereafter through scouting. And uh, he somehow continued to con me into uh, serving him as an unpaid intern, not that it's a bad gig. But the point being is that uh, I think, as you alluded to, uh, being a mentor is not only uh, something active that you do, but it's also passive. And a lot of things that I see in Greg and how he navigates certain difficult conversations or situations are things that I can take and, and learn from myself and and vice versa. I think that uh, I'd like to think that I've uh, had some good influence on, on Greg as well, or at least I hope that I have. But I think the idea is, and the idea that, that basically civility boils down to is being able just to have a conversation with someone and not have it turn into uh, or degrade into uh, 
a situation where you are in opposition to that person. And, and it's finding that common ground. It's finding that middle ground and being able to work from that to maybe expand that relationship. One question I guess I would have is how do we take some of these lessons that we have learned in the lodge and, and that we've discussed tonight and move them into the community as a whole, especially from my point of view, I think that we have men, at least in, in our community here, our small community, that are wanting, you know, these tools or are needing these tools and uh, they just don't know we exist. So how can we, how can we expand our footprint, if you will, or how can we uh, show some of these men in our community that there are organizations like our organization that are trying to, to uh, turn the tide, if you will, against some of the negative things in society? A lot of different thoughts, and I just want to collect them for a minute. We've been talking primarily about our words, our conversations, engaging in, in more productive civil conversations. But we need to realize that civility is far more than that. You cannot say a word and yet be incredibly uncivil. So I also emphasize your behavior, your acts. You know, we're not doing a whole lot of driving these days, but you know, you know you're going to be on the freeway. You're going to get cut off by that jerk. And if you are one of those aggressive drivers, as I used to be, you're going to go cut him off. And that's an act of incivility. And how you cope with that when you know that's going to come at you is, is a key. In terms of your respective communities, uh, there's an organization out of Arizona State University, Hugh Downs School of Human Communication, called the Institute for Civil Dialogue. And they have an exercise in how to engage in civil conversations about very difficult subjects. I've trained under them, uh, I've trained with them, and I've now conducted hundreds and hundreds of such civil dialogues. I've done them inside Freemasonry and outside. And this is an example of where if you have your ear to the ground in your community and you're sensing that something is starting to tear us apart, you can then offer to come in and host, maybe in a library, maybe in your Masonic Lodge, such a civil dialogue. And you can find that that the whole goal of this exercise is to show people that you can still have your vehemently diametrically opposed beliefs, but have a productive conversation. It's not about changing anybody's minds, but having that kind of conversation instead of it resulting in violence or or something really like That's the role I think we as Masons, as Masons but not in the name of Masonry, can have in restoring civility in society. And I think it's a role we have to take on. Nobody else is, is rising to the occasion. So let's first learn what tools are there. And I have plenty of them to share in in volume two of this, if you like. And then let's commit to restoring civility in all our various walks of life. And we're going to be able to look back six months, 12 months, five years later and say, you know what? Our efforts did have the desired ripple effects. Well, brother, thank you for giving us this enlightened talk. We say that Freemasons are here to make good men better. And I believe that Probably our best advertisement for that is to take the things we learn in masonry and in our lodges and to, like you, what you're talking about is to display them quietly out in public and let people see the way you act in public and then let them come to you and say, hey, why are you 
why do you act where you are and say, well, I, because of what I've learned and maybe that will strike the chord in them to maybe make me more curious about the craft. I got to thinking about it. And I think throughout this entire thing, we really haven't touched upon your organization. Could you please talk about your Masonic family civility project and what is it and who's involved in it before we go? I absolutely will. We have a lot of different efforts underway, uh, and we have recently put those under the umbrella of the Worldwide Civility Council. Under that umbrella falls the Masonic Family Civility Project. That runs the MasonicCivility.org website. That goes out and we do speaking engagements and so on and so forth. Under the Civility Council, we have the Civility Scorecard that we developed. And this is a tool to use artificial intelligence to objectively rate a person's level of civility in their speech. It's really good for masters or grandmasters if they want to try out uh, how their speech might be received. We did our first urgency of civility convening in May of 2019 at the George Washington Sonic National Memorial. And we're going to have our second one in May of 2021. So we're doing that. We have built the Civility Toolkit, as I mentioned. And something really interesting that we're working on right now is we are developing the Certified Civil Designation. Those of you that remember Underwriter Laboratory, where if you bought a piece of electronics, you would turn it over to see if it was UL approved, and that gave you a vote of confidence to buy that product. Or the uh, Good Housekeeping Seal of Approval. Same type of, of concept with certified civil designation. An entity, your lodge or your business or what have you could apply to be certified civil. You could apply to have your Facebook or social media sites certified civil. And the idea here is that you will then outwardly agree to abide by certain standards of civility, which not so coincidentally coincide with Masonic tenets as well. And the beauty here is it's you're telling if your business, your vendors, your employees, your customers, your clients, whoever, you know, I agree to treat you on a dignified, respectful basis. And if one of those people with whom you're interacting feels that you haven't been civil in a particular interaction, they can file what we're calling a civility concern. Now, the idea here isn't we're gonna, isn't that we're gonna wrap you over the knuckles and say, how dare you? But this will give us an opportunity to have a conversation with the person who filed the concern in you to see how we could have handled the situation better. And we think that's gonna be one of those grassroots efforts to start to spread the awareness of civility, have people wanting to work with somebody who has taken this, that made this agreement that they're going to to do their best to be civil in all their interactions. And we think that that's going to, frankly, start to force our leaders to treat us and each other in a more civil manner. So, Bill, to answer your question, MasonicCivility.org is kind of the the way to play, first place to go visit uh, in the Masonic realm and look forward to some of these other things that we're doing on actually a global basis, a worldwide basis, to try to turn the tide. Well, Russ, again, what a pleasure it's been to have you uh, tonight to talk about these, what I consider some of the most important topics, not only in Freemasonry, but quite frankly, in, in American society today. It's funny, when I when I told you I talked to my, my friend that was the mayor, I said, how do we come out of 
post COVID, post George Floyd, post everything else, I said, we have to be able to have conversations. We have to be able to speak with one another. We have to be able to cross those barriers between race or, or ethnicity or other things that, because if not, I said, how would, how in the world will we ever move forward? And I think the efforts you're doing are just spot on for what the, the world needs. So let me give you my absolute heartfelt thanks for all the, the work you have done. And, uh, and, and just the, the short talk bulletin you did and the discussion we had the one night in our Royal Arts chapter. And I think, and Darren was there. We had guys talking about things that quite frankly, I didn't think they would ever dig that deep in themselves. And, uh, it was funny. Once we opened that door to some of those conversations, they were actually eager to, uh, talk about what they thought civility was and what it meant and, and how we could do better. And those are the absolute conversations, uh, we need to, to have not only in Freemasonry, but as you've said, really everywhere. So again, uh, we appreciate you joining us. This is going to be part one of at least two. We've just barely scratched the surface. I think we can get into some techniques and, and maybe some deeper dives on really uh, what these things mean. But uh, so again, uh, Russ, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Pleasure's been mine, and I would welcome the opportunity to come back and talk with your audience. So everybody, again, we, we appreciate you joining us on Meet, Act, and Part. If you want to learn more about uh, Masonic Civility, the website is MasonicCivility.org. There are some outstanding resources out there, and we urge you to read those and take those back not only into your lodge, but into your everyday a life and, and social media life, especially. So again, thank you for joining us tonight for another episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Thank you for listening to Meet, Act, and Part. For more information about our show, visit our website at www.meetactandpart.com. While there, please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Acton Park.